Good morning. We're going to look at Romans 5, 1 to 11 this morning. We've been looking at the book of Romans. Um, past, uh, well, this, this fall we started looking at it. We're going to be looking at it for a while. Um, but uh, if you remember, the first three chapters, we looked at how Paul made a case for the fact that every single person alive has turned away from him, from God. And we've all put ourselves at the center rather than putting God at the center of things. And because of that, we deserve God's justice. We deserve God's wrath. We deserve to be separated from him. And then in chapter 4 and 5, he points out, he argues that, uh, that there's nothing that we can do to fix this problem. There's nothing we can do to make peace with God, to be reconciled to God, no matter how hard we try, no matter how good we are, no matter how religious we are, no matter how many things we do. We cannot reconcile ourselves to God. The only way that we can find reconciliation with God, the only way that we can justify ourselves is by counting on what he has done for us. The only way that we can be restored in relationship to God is to, is to believe, to live by faith, to trust in what Jesus has done and who he is rather than trusting in what we can do or have done or hope to do. It's all by faith that we can be justified and experience the righteousness that we all need and long for, the acceptance of God, the, the favor of God, the declaration of God's love and power and goodness over our lives. The only way we experience that is by faith, by trusting in him and what he does and what he has done and what he will do. And now in chapter 5, um, Paul says, if this is true of you, if you believe, if you've trusted in Jesus, if you have faith in God, like we've been talking about, then there are some things to be excited about. There's some really good news. There's some things to rejoice about. And that's what he starts talking about here in chapter 5. So listen to God's word as I read. It's printed in your order of worship. If you don't have, um, if you don't have a Bible, I encourage you to follow along in the Bible if you have one. If you don't um, have one, feel free to ask me and I'll get you one. Listen to God's word. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now receive reconciliation. This is the word of God. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for speaking. And we pray, Father, that you would help us 
to listen. Help us to listen to you. Father, we pray for the one who speaks that uh, you would push him out of the way and that you would speak clearly to us from your word, that we would listen and be changed. Father, we thank you that, that you are here now by your spirit. We pray that you would open our eyes to just how glorious you are. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. What are some things that are really, really easy for you to do? Um, there's probably a, a list of things that are really easy for me to do. If somebody suggests to go to, to Cliff's for a chocolate shake, it's, it's like a no-brainer. It's so easy to be like, yeah, let's do it. Um, if, uh, if somebody offers to take our kids and babysit them for Kim and me to go out on a date, easy, easy yes. It's so easy to do that. Um, it's easy to watch my favorite movie, to listen to my favorite um, musical artists. It's easy to do these things. Um, I'm, I'm embarrassed to say, ashamed to say, that uh, maybe the easiest thing for me to do is to feel sorry for myself. Is to feel sad about things in my life. Um, to kind of uh, have a pity party for myself. And, and it doesn't have to be a big reason. There's all sorts of little tiny reasons that I can feel sorry for myself, that I can feel sad, you know? My favorite team just lost this week in a really embarrassing way, really embarrassing. It was awful. Um, you know, I, I can feel sad because, uh, you know, we just had some work done on our yard this, this past year, and they planted new grass, and the grass isn't coming in like I thought it was going to come in. It just doesn't look good. Every time I drive into the driveway, it's just a bunch of dead grass. Um, I can feel sorry for myself for things like that, you know? I can feel sorry for myself because just the, the, the I, I walk into the kitchen and there's a puddle on the floor because the, the refrigerator is leaking. And uh, it's easy to feel sorry for myself at that point. It's easy to feel sorry for myself just because my life, I, you know, even this past week, I know there, there was a, one of the days I woke up and I just had this vague sense of sadness, this vague sense of self-pity because just life wasn't what I wanted it to be exactly. You know, the sun wasn't as bright as I wanted it to be. It's not as warm as I wanted it to be. Um, I can feel sorry for myself for all sorts of small reasons. Um, I, you know, honestly, uh, this morning I was feeling sorry for myself because I didn't feel good. I, I, this, this message that I'm about to preach, was not happy about it. Um, didn't think it was going to be very good. I, I feel, I, it's easy to feel sorry for myself because I don't feel like I'm very good at what I do sometimes. Um, there's all sorts of reasons to feel sorry for myself. You know, the car breaks down, you have an unexpected thing go wrong. Um, these are small things. I know that some of us are dealing with big things, and it's very easy to feel sorry for ourselves when things are big in our lives and are painful. Um, when somebody is sick, and there's really nothing you can do to help them it's easy to feel sadness, real sadness, to feel sorry for ourselves in the midst of that. Um, when somebody in our, in our family, somebody that we love, is facing something that is really, really hard, and again, we, it's hard to help. We don't know what to do. It's easy to feel sorry for ourselves in that situation. Um, if our work is not what we really long for it to be, um, it's not satisfying. Our career is, you know, what, what am I doing here? It's easy to feel sorry for myself Can I, when I go to work and I'm just not, not looking forward to it. Um, it's easy to feel sorry for ourselves when our marriage isn't what we wished it was 
and we have real problems in our relationships. It's easy to feel sorry for ourselves and to feel down, to feel downcast, as um, we read earlier in Psalm 42. There's all sorts of reasons to, that, that we can feel sorry for ourselves, that we can feel sad. This is really turning into a downer, isn't it? <laughs> My point is this, is that there are a myriad of reasons that we all have a tendency towards sadness and towards self-pity. Um, some are very small and foolish. Some of them are, are real and serious and very significant. And this morning, I do not want to make light of anybody's sadness um, and the reasons that you might be feeling sorry for yourself today. But what I want to do, what I think um, Romans 5 does for us, is that it gives us some real serious reasons to rejoice in the midst of all of that other stuff. Hopefully in place of some of that stuff, like my dead grass, but in the midst of the other stuff, the stuff that feels overwhelming, the stuff that feels like, yeah, um, when we experience real loss, and it's, and, you know, it's, it's hard. Um, I think Romans 5, Paul gives us several reasons to rejoice in the midst of those things. And that's, that's what I want to look at. I mean, the word rejoice is repeated several times in these verses. Did you notice that? He says rejoice, we, we rejoice, we rejoice, we rejoice. Um, and I, all, all these rejoicings, the reason he tells us to rejoice is, is because it's all based on the fact that, that we have been justified by faith in verse 1, right? Since we have been justified by faith, we now have reasons to rejoice, we have reasons to rejoice. What are those reasons that he gives us to rejoice? Um, well, I think the very first reason that we have to rejoice, although he doesn't specifically say we rejoice about this, but the very first thing he says, he says, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That is the number one reason I see here to rejoice in the midst of our tendency towards self-pity. Um, we have peace with God. I'm guessing you know the feeling. I'm guessing you know the feeling. And this never happens in our house, but just imagine I do something dumb and upset Kim, okay? Never happens. She has a right to be angry with me because it's completely my fault. And as a result, there is this tension in the air, you know? It's not just located in one room. It's, it's at, throughout the entire house. There's, there's tension. There's unrest. It feels like it's a little frosty in there. You can almost kind of see your breath. And uh, like I said, never happens. And uh, thanks for affirming me, John. Um, and, you know, what, it, it makes it really, really hard to focus on the things that I want to do, that I need to do because of this constant tension and unrest. It makes it impossible to enjoy the things that I'm, I, I would like to enjoy, that I'm used to enjoying. What I desperately need and long for is for Kim to forgive me and to embrace me and to have peace, right? That's what I long for, that's what I need. Well, without the work of Jesus Christ to reconcile us to God, to shield us from the judgment of God. 
we all live in a constant state of tension with God. We may not even be aware of it, but verse 10 says that we are enemies of God without Christ. We're enemies of him. And so even if you don't recognize the existence of God, I think that without the work of Jesus, we live with an underlying sense of the the fact that things are not right. Things are not quite as they should be, a sense of restlessness. We live with a reality of, of an underlying tension of needing peace in life. And that underlying tension is the fact that we have a, a, a relationship with God that, that is broken and disrupted. What we all need, what we all long for is peace. And, and, and it might work itself out in the fact that like, as these small, even small things happen that, that we don't love, that happen to us, it's easy for us to jump to the fact, oh, oh God might be angry with me. God's trying to you know, punish me for something. You know? What we need is peace. What we need is an assurance that, that God is not out to get us, that he's forgiven us, that he has embraced us, and that is what he has done in Jesus. Because of Jesus Christ, because of his life and his death for you, he says, you have peace with God. You don't have to fear God wanting to pay you back or hold anything over your head. You don't have to live with any sense of tension or restlessness, worrying what God might do, because you have peace. That is something to rejoice about. That is something to rejoice about. In verse two, Paul gives us a second thing to rejoice in. The fact that we are standing in grace. He says this, through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. Okay, We've we've obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. What is he talking about when he's talking about this grace? I think the grace that he is referring to is this relationship that we have with God where what God is giving us is what we don't deserve. That's what grace is. When when you're given something and you deserve the opposite, actually. It's unmerited favor. So that's what grace is. Grace is when we experience God's love and his kindness and his power and his goodness when what we deserve is the opposite. We're completely undeserving of it and yet he pours it out upon us. That is the condition of, of being in God's grace. That's what, we, that's what we have access to because of what Jesus has done for us. We have access to this, this relationship with God where we can be confident that not only is God not gonna do us wrong, but he's actually interested in only doing good for us and showing us how much he loves us. Okay? And so the, the beautiful thing is that, is that it, we don't just have access to this, but it says we, we, we're into this grace in which we stand. We're standing in this grace. Not just knee deep, not just waist deep. You know, up to our necks and over our head, we're in the grace of God. This is a, a present and permanent condition. Okay, we're standing in the grace of God. In this, and, and so he's encouraging us to be confident in the fact that every moment of your life, God is out to do you good. He's pursuing you with his love. No matter how unworthy you are, no matter how unworthy you are, no matter how unworthy you've proven yourself to be. And and he, he expands on this idea of grace in verses six to 10, I think. Look at verses six to 10. He says, for while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare to even die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, 
Christ died for us. Since therefore we have been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. He uses four words to describe us here, right? All kind of negative. He calls us weak. He calls us ungodly. He calls us sinners. He calls us enemies of God. That is who we are. He sees us. He sees right through us. He sees us as we are. With all of our our shame and our failure and our guilt. And yet, he says, I'm going to love you. Not just a little bit of love, but I'm going to, like, to the full extent, I'm going to send my son to die for you. That is what grace is. God sees us just as we are, and he's willing to pay the ultimate price to show us how much he loves us. I think we spend a lot of our times trying to make sure that no one sees us as we are. No one sees us at our worst. We spend a lot of energy doing that. Um, we spend a lot of energy hiding our flaws, our dark, darkest secrets, what we're actually thinking, the things we're most ashamed of. We spend a lot of the time kind of hiding those things, hoping nobody notices those things. The reality is God sees all of those things. He sees you. He sees you at your worst, in your weakness, as a sinner, and he loves you. He loves you while you were sinners. Christ died for you. That is incredible, an incredible gift of love, and that is the grace that we stand in. When I was a kid, I remember watching the story of Cinderella, and I, I just remember thinking, you know, the main question of the story of Cinderella is, is the prince ever going to, is he going to be able to find Cinderella and, and get her to try on the glass slipper so that they can be, you know, united and be together forever? And uh, that's the real question. Is he going to be able to find her when, when the wicked stepmother is, like, hiding her and, and, you know, all these other people are trying on the slipper and everything? Is, that the, are the, is he going to find her? Because if he finds her, of course, they're going to get together. But uh, in the kind of most recent, well, maybe it's not the most recent version of Cinderella and the, the one that came out about 10 years ago with Lily James in it, um, it, it actually made me rethink the whole story because uh, in, in that story, what they also highlight is how Cinderella, when, when she knows that the prince is finally downstairs, she wonders, is he really going to love her when he sees her without the magical gown? without you know, the, the beautiful makeup and everything, when he sees her with the soot on her face in rags, will he really love her? And, and as she's going down the stairs, the narrator says this great line um, where, where she says, you know, this is perhaps the greatest risk any of us will ever take to be seen as we truly are. And, and this is the thing. What Romans 5 tells us is that God does see you as you truly are. And yet, he loves you. And you need to count on that. You need to stand in that. No matter what is happening in your life, you need to count on the fact that God is out to do you good. Because he loves you so deeply. So we're standing in grace. We have peace with God. These are two things we have to rejoice in. Thirdly, we, we have a certainty of glory. And this is, he specifically says, you know, at the end of verse two, we rejoice in the hope 
of the glory of God. That is what we have to rejoice in, the hope of the glory of God. Well, first of all, we need to understand what does he mean by the word hope? Because when we use the word hope, we're just talking about, I, I, when I say I hope this happens, we're, we're wishing for something that might come true. When the Bible talks about hope, it's talking about being certain, having something that you can be certain of. And so he says we rejoice in the certainty of the glory of God. What, what is the glory of God? What is he referring to when he talks about the glory of God? Well, the glory of God, this is talking about this, this, uh, the, the future of what God is going to do to display his glory as he remakes all things, as he makes all things new. All of creation, as he gets rid of all that is wrong, as he remakes us into his image and to reflect him perfectly. That is what glory is to experience life, the world, creation, ourselves as we were meant to. That is glory. That is glory. And he says, if you have believed in Jesus, then you can be certain that this is where you were going. You can be certain that this is your final destination. No more sadness. No more tears. There's nothing feel sorry for yourself about in this future glory that he promises. Our certainty of glory is key because it's what enables us to deal with suffering in a different way. And that's what he talks about right after that, right? Right after verse two and verse three. He says, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Knowing that our suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame. This is what we have to rejoice in. That, that even it, it, as we deal with suffering in our lives, all of these major things that, that tempt us to feel sorry for ourselves, he says, these things actually have a purpose. These things are actually taking you somewhere. You know, there's this, there's this, this chain here. You know, the, the suffering produces endurance, endurance, character, and character, hope. When we suffer in life, it's, it's, it's what it is, it's, it's, it's taking us somewhere greater, somewhere more glorious. As, as our suffering works in us endurance, if we don't suffer, then, then we don't have an opportunity to, to live through it and continue being faithful and believing and following Jesus. As we work through our suffering and, and enduring our suffering, it, it provides, it, it, it forms, it shapes character in us. So the word kind of refers to a, a maturity in us. And then leaves us, with, our suffering leaves us clinging to our hope even more tightly. It makes our hope more of a reality as we suffer. Our suffering is taking us somewhere. Your suffering is taking you somewhere, and that is why you can rejoice. It's taking you somewhere better, somewhere more beautiful, somewhere more glorious. Um, and C.S. Lewis wrote a book called The Great Divorce, and it is, it's, it's a really interesting book, a, a book about heaven and hell. And, uh, and it's interesting. It starts off um, describing these people in hell, and it's kind of this dark, foggy place where everybody kind of lives in isolation from one another. And, and the people themselves are, are like transparent. You see through them. And, uh, and, and it starts off with, with all, all these people in hell in a big, long line waiting to get on a bus. 
And what the bus does is that when you get on the bus, it, it takes you on a little trip to heaven to see what it's like there. And so it, it's t- told by this guy who's, who's in hell, and, and he gets on the bus, and he goes to heaven. And when he gets in heaven, one of the things that he notices is that in heaven, everything is more real and solid. Like even the, the grass, it, it's painful to walk on the grass for the people who are from hell because they're like transparent, and the grass is like, like these, these, they're like these sharp shards, you know? And it's painful for them even to walk there. And it talks about these other things, maybe I'm not sure about like leaves falling and being as heavy as like bowling balls or things, something like that. They're, everything's like really weighty and heavy there. And then, and then you greet a, uh, uh, then they're, they're greeted by a person who, who is in heaven. And this person is solid and, and, and glorious and beautiful. This is where suffering takes us to a place where we are more solid and real and mature, where we are people who are able to enjoy the world as it was made to be enjoyed. Like the people in heaven who are solid, the grass doesn't bother them at all. But that is what God is doing through our suffering. He's preparing us, growing us. Right now, to become more beautiful people now, but preparing us to be people who inhabit heaven for eternity. And so this gives us a reason to rejoice in our suffering. As hard as it is. The last reason that Paul gives us to rejoice here is in verse 11. He says, more than that, we also rejoice in God. So he's been telling us the things that we have because of what Jesus has done for us and and believing in that, right? Believing in him. But in the end, he says, what what does he tell tell us that we rejoice in? We rejoice in God himself. Ultimately, that is what we have to rejoice in. The person of God. Verse 11 says, more than that, we also rejoice in God. The greatest reason we have to rejoice is that we have an opportunity to know God, to behold him. To behold God is to have a front seat to joy itself. The famous church father, Augustine, from the 5th century, wrote in uh, in the book, uh, The Confessions. He wrote this, you've made us for yourself and our hearts are restless until we find rest in you. We were made to know him. That's why we were made. That is is the, the ultimate experience of life, is to behold who God is in all of his glory, in all of his power, in all of his justice, in all of his wisdom, in all of his love, in all of his mercy. To behold God is to experience joy. I mean, that, we, we're, we experience that in everyday life. When you behold something that is beautiful, it's hard not to experience joy. When you, behold a, when, when you look upon and behold a, a beautiful sunrise, it gives you a little bit of joy, doesn't it? when you behold something that is beautiful in creation, and in the fall when you see like a, a bunch of trees, all different vibrant colors, it gives you a little bit of joy. When you behold a beautiful person, it can give you some joy. When you behold uh, and, and, and look at a, a great piece of artwork or uh, listen to a beautiful piece of music, it, it gives joy, right? There is nothing that is more glorious and beautiful than God himself. This is what we were made for, to behold him. That is the ultimate reason to rejoice. 
You know, I, I, uh, um, no matter how my day looks, no matter what reasons I might be tempted to feel sorry for myself, if I believe the gospel, then I have God. And that's all I need. That is all I need. In the last uh, the paragraph here, just kind of finish up these, uh, one of the things he, he says that, that comes out over and over again in, this, in, this, in these verses, he's constantly saying more than that, more than that, more than that, much more. Did you notice that a lot of times? Um, and then in verse, verse nine and 10, he says, since we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For while we were enemies, we were reconciled by God reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. I think one of the reasons that we, that we are tempted to feel deep sadness, to feel sorry for ourselves, is because we are, we are too focused on just ourselves right now, or what has happened. And in, in here, in these verses, I think Paul is, is encouraging, encouraging us to look to what's going to happen. Um, I've heard, often heard like anxiety is described as, as kind of imagining kind of the worst possible scenario of what might happen. I think we are encouraged here to imagine because of Christ, because of what God has done for us, to, to be constantly imagining the best possible scenario of what God will do. Because he says, you know, if, if he has sent his son to die for you, then count on this. How much more does he plan to give you life? Not only in eternity, not only next year, but even in the next few moments. We need to count on God giving us the life that he promises through his son Jesus. Because this is what real life, this is where real life is found. Real life is found, number one, in knowing God, which is what he's given to us. Real life is found in having peace with him. Real life is found in, in becoming who he created us to be and, and reflecting him. That is what real life is. That is where real joy is to be found. And he's promising it here right now, much more. I'm promising you more of life, more of life, more of life. That's what we have to rejoice in. So, no matter how your team does today, all right, count on more from God, way more from God. As you deal with what may be unthinkable in your family today, count on God to give much more. Trust him, believe him. I, I was just thinking about like the disciples, one last thing, sorry. I was thinking about the disciples, uh, you know, after Jesus was crucified. Um, they, of, of anybody, probably had a greater reason to feel sorry for themselves, <laughs> right? Can you imagine them? <sighs> Having given their lives to this man, followed him, watched all of this incredible stuff, counted, like believing that this is really gonna change everything, and then he was killed, and he's gone. <sighs> In their wildest imaginations, did they ever think that he was going to show up? Did they ever think that that was going to happen? 
and yet he did. And I think that's, a, that's, a, that's an illustration, a picture of what he in, in, invites us to be doing every single day of our lives. Counting on him to do what's unimaginably good in my life. I, and, and, and I'm gonna have a hard time like noticing it, I'm sure, because my definition is different than his, but believing that his definition is best and counting on it and believing it. So rejoice, rejoice, rejoice. Let's pray. Father, we, we, we thank you for reminding us of these reasons that we have to truly find real solid joy even in the midst of, of moments that, uh, and, and situations where it's, it's very, very hard. Father, we pray that you would help us to, to take hold of these facts, these truths that you promise us. And most importantly, to take hold of you and to know that you are enough. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, we're going to, in a minute, we're going to go and, and to the Lord's table and be reminded of all that he promised.